Welcome to the Maintenance Community Podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn all things about maintenance and reliability. I'm your host, Brian. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each episode, I'll be meeting with an expert from within our maintenance community to take a deep dive in a topic sourced from our maintenance community Slack group. And today, I'm super excited to have Chris Colson here on the show. In addition to his role as the principal at Allied Reliability, Chris is also the co-author of Clean, Green, and Reliable, a Sustainable Reliability Guide for Industrial Plants. In addition, Chris has written numerous articles, spoke at seminars, conferences, and personally, I've gotten the chance to know and read more about Chris. Your deep understanding of maintenance, reliability, engineering, maintainability, design, and energy management has really made you a big trusted advisor and resource within the entire space and all of you know your, your peers. So Welcome to the podcast, Chris. I'm super excited to have the chance to learn from you. Thank you for having me on, Ryan. I appreciate the opportunity and and I'm equally excited to connect with you today and all the listeners from the maintenance, reliability, and operational excellence communities. It's an honor and I'm, I'm thankful for all the continued efforts that you and your team over at Upkeep are extending to our community. Thank you so much. Let's jump in, Chris. All right. Um, you know, the way that we always kick off this podcast is have you share a little bit more about your background, your history, and how you were first introduced into this wonderful field of maintenance and reliability. It is a wonderful field, and I appreciate that. I'll give you a little bit of a background, Ryan. I started early in my career uh, knowing, and actually as a junior in high school, knowing that I wanted to become an electrical engineer. I'd spent a bunch of time tearing up TVs and computers and, and getting into the, the electrical side of things, and it just made sense. So as I connected with a mechanical and electrical contractor my junior year in high school in the southern Indiana area where I live, and I wanted to start working for them. I wanted to get a little bit of a base knowledge before I went into college and, and started my engineering schooling. And so I began working in their industrial controls division, learning the fundamentals of PLC controls. And from there, when I turned 18, I was allowed to actually go into the field and work as an electrician. So that meant I got to do things like run conduit, pull wire, all the all the sweaty type work. And I worked with that company through my university studies, and I became a licensed electrician in the state of Indiana and Kentucky. And I still hold those licenses today. I don't use them as much from an in-the-field perspective. But after graduating, I got a chance to fill the role of an electrical engineer for the company. And I got involved in high voltage design work and communication controls, as well as my first introduction to what today in our workspace, right, in our community, we call condition-based maintenance utilizing predictive technologies. And so primarily, I utilize technologies such as uh, power quality analysis. I used uh, motor circuit analysis, airborne ultrasound, and thermography. I didn't really get into too much of the vibration analysis. But I've got to admit this, and, and I'm a, a bit ashamed sometimes to tell people this, but I've got to admit that time I use these technologies for companies in a more reactive fashion. My boss would come over, he'd say, hey, we just got a call. I need you to take that black box of yours, whatever that thing is, go out in the field, do some troubleshooting and tell them what's wrong. And it really wasn't until while doing work with Allied Reliability roughly 17 years ago that I truly began to understand maintenance and reliability in the sense that it enables organizations that we get a chance to work with uh, to really manage and control the efficiency and the effectiveness of how their assets are operated and how they're managed throughout their life cycle to really deliver on the organization's business objectives. Having worked with Allied for a little over a year uh, as a partner of theirs, I went to work for them about 16 years ago, started my second career as a reliability engineer with them, and I've been on this exciting journey since. What an amazing 
journey, Chris. I mean, I, seriously, it sounds like you really started at a, at a young age and you haven't really left. You know, again, you've dedicated your entire career to this industry. Obviously, I know that you've written articles and books about this industry. And, you know, that really showcases like, at least to me, outside looking in, how much you love the industry and how much opportunity there is. I sure do. I, I love getting in the field. Uh, and there's times where after you do some of the higher level business cases, work with customers to roll out all of the different initiatives, get into the inner workings of changing culture. There's also times where you just want to roll up your sleeve and go back in the field and get your hands on things. And so I, I kind of fight that urge at times, but I love it so much that that's, that's what I find myself doing. That's awesome. And again, as we alluded to, you've written books about this. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your book. Obviously, you know, our podcast is is not supposed to be a, an advertisement by any means, but at the same time, when I saw this, I was so intrigued by it. So you wrote a book called Clean, Green, and Reliable, a sustainable reliability guide for industrial plants today. Can you share a little bit more about that book? Why did you write it? I have to give all credit to a colleague of mine, Doug Plucknets, but I think it would have been in like the 2009, 2010 timeframe that I was, I was transitioning out of uh, leading Allied's Maintenance and Reliability Consulting Services Group. And I was entering into the part where I was leading their condition-based monitoring group. And so Doug reached out to me, he'd been a colleague of mine for a number of years, and he had published a book titled Reliability Centered Maintenance Using RCM Blitz, which was the process that he designed, developed, and still uses today. And I had the pleasure of working with Doug on numerous engagements with our customers using RCM. And oftentimes he would, he would talk about the benefits of RCM and and what the benefits of having the right maintenance strategy were. And oftentimes he would then venture into, it's more than just increasing the equipment runtime. There's also some byproducts of that. And so he reached out to me and let me know that he was working on this second book that ended up becoming Clean, Green, and Reliable. And Doug had that idea of his book when he was writing that first one and going through those conversations with customers and then having some other conversations with Terrence O'Hanlon about this idea of clean and green and being a byproduct. So when Doug called me to share what he was working on and, and he asked for my assistance, I got to tell you, I, I was immediately hooked. And if you've ever spent any time with Doug, you know that Doug's not only a very knowledgeable professional in our field of maintenance and reliability, but he also exudes this contagious passion for continuous improvement. And I jumped at the opportunity. Who wouldn't do that, right? You get excited about that. You want to work on that. So Doug and I had a number of conversations and we kind of aligned on what he was already working on. He'd, he'd had quite a few of the chapters already written and he just wanted some critique. And then it ended up expanding into some other chapters. So this notion for clean, green, and reliable and the book, it was, it was really just quite simple. While the benefits of equipment reliability are, are most noted for reducing the cost of maintenance, as I mentioned before, the benefits of reliable assets, they actually reach far beyond the cost of eliminating that emergency and demand maintenance. And regardless of what a person's belief might be on the topic of, let's say, climate change or global warming, reducing energy consumption, it's just the right thing to do. And especially when you can actually show that this reduction in energy consumption is actually a byproduct of improved equipment and manufacturing reliability. So that's what we, that's what uh, our intent was with the book. And Doug and I wanted this book to be really something different from what you might find if you were to go look for other books aimed about businesses regarding energy savings. And what we found at the time were books about, you know, ideas of installing different types of energy conservation devices that might be switching out lights and the benefits of switching out those lights. So we focused instead on the 10 of the most common industrial systems and the equipment utilized in these systems to address specific maintenance tasks 
and technologies that yield improved uptime, bottom line energy savings, and a reduction in carbon footprint. And we shared insights on the systems. And some of those systems included things like electrical power distribution, air handling, compressed air, steam, hydraulic, air and gas conveyance, and refrigeration systems, just to name a few of those. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking back, I think we released the book or it was published in 2011. When we collaborated on that, there's been a couple of additional potential new topics and chapters that we've, we've discussed and talked about and written a little bit more about. But I think today it's just as relevant and important as it was when we re- got it published in 2011. And I strongly believe that it, it provides even more opportunities as it did when it was first released. You've likely seen a, a vast array of, of companies over the past couple of years begin to include their ESG policies and reports alongside their financial reports, as well as uh, ways in which that they're measuring and tracking and reporting their progress on those efforts or those commitments that they've made. It, it was through the work of uh, writing this book that I actually was able to connect with the Association of Energy Engineers, and I became a certified energy manager. I've also had the opportunity to work with a number of equally passionate folks when it comes to designing and implementing sustainable business processes. So if you t- if you spend any time at all talking with me, you'll likely pick up on the fact that my work and my passion is, is really around sustainable and predictable asset management. And I believe yeah. that in today's business environment, it's vital that as leaders, our goal should be to put a spotlight on the alignment and the interdependencies of the efforts that all of us are doing in the maintenance and reliability field, right? When it comes to asset management and align those to the the goals and the policies and the commitments that our organizations are making when it comes to ESG and driving towards those benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the interconnectedness that you bring, you know, maintenance reliability to like doing good for the environment, for the safety, for you know, reducing the number of carbon emissions as a potential example. You mentioned the term ESG. What does that mean to you? And where, where is that interconnectedness between our industry maintenance reliability and the environmental, social, and other impacts that what we do on a daily basis has to you know the, the broader world around us? Sure. Great question, Ryan. The term ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. It, it is a uh, framework for analyzing companies and and really getting a chance to um, assess how well they compare to their peers in terms of performance against those three areas or those three metrics. And it allows us to gain insight into organizations without really looking at their balance sheet and looking at how their business impacts really the broader society at large. So ESG represents a more stakeholder-centric approach to doing business. And as ESG increasingly becomes top of mind, I think, for leaders today, it's essential to consider the global nuances that drive focus region by region, because many of the the companies and the organizations that we work with, they're global, and they they operate in, in numerous regions across the world. Companies that adhere to ESG standards, they agree to conduct themselves ethically in those three areas, and they can draw on a range of of different ESG strategies, things, strategies, tactics, and also solutions to do that. There are such a wide range of of possible uh, approaches and solutions and an array of issues that fall under the ESG umbrella. And a good first step really is to uh, take those three different areas, uh, environmental, social, and governance, and identify the issues that fit into the umbrellas of those categories. So as an example, right, if we take the category of environment, it's really the preservation of our our natural world, looking at things like climate change, carbon emission reduction, 
uh, carbon footprint, uh, things like you've mentioned, water pollution and water scarcity and air pollution and deforestation. You know, in the news here lately, uh, and especially coming out of the COP26 summit that just finished up uh, this past weekend, that's what they, their focus was on, reducing carbon footprint for organizations. And, and a lot of policies have, have uh, begun to uh, be agreed upon by numerous countries. I think over 200 countries signed that uh, uh, COP26 agreement. Uh, but then if you, if you switch over and you look at the social category, we're talking about the consideration of humans and our interdependencies. Uh, we do that by evaluating things like customer success, uh, data hygiene and security, gender and diversity inclusion, human rights, community relations and, and mental health and well-being. That's the people side of this. And, and so uh, as with your engagement and your work with, with Upkeep, you know that a big portion of, of rolling out any new technology or any new process, it's you've got to you've got to address the people side of this first. It's building that culture, and so on that social side, you you're really looking at trying to say, how do I impact and include everybody? How do I make it a place that everybody wants to come to work at every single day when they're here and, that, and be a part of this organization? And then if you take that that category of governance, we're talking about the logistics and the demand processes for running a business or organization in a manner in which it, it actually will um, align to what they're committing to execute. So it's it's doing the things that we say we're going to do. And this gets into items such as human capital or organizational structure all the way up to the board of directors. It also touches on uh, executive compensation guidelines, political contributions and lobbying, venture partner compensation, and then getting to the point of hiring and onboarding by using best practices. So kind of in a nutshell, that's what's meant by the term of ESG. I, I think that to, to answer the one other part, how you, how you kind of link the maintenance and reliability side of this is that as we roll out asset management strategies, we need to be cognizant that it's, while we definitely want to be able to uh, ensure that we're maintaining equipment in a way that uh, is going to be able to get us the, the maximum output or throughput and have the least amount of failures and therefore the greatest availability, you have to do that in a way that is responsible, responsible for the people that are working on the piece of equipment, whether it's operating it or maintaining it, but also responsible to our environment in the way that we handle that from a maintenance perspective. Absolutely. I think on our podcast, we, we've talked a lot about like diversity. We talked a lot about like the social implications. And I think broadly, everyone believes that a more diverse population will lead to better outcomes for the business. So like Maybe we'll take that one aside. You know, the one that we actually haven't talked too much about is environmental side of the business. I think commonly what we hear is, you know, there are rules, regulations that we have to follow. And we're just going to kind of do the minimum required to pass all those checks. This is a difficult one because there, oftentimes there is a cost to this. There is a cost to supporting our practices to be even more environmentally friendly than just the minimum required. Maybe the question here for, for you, Chris, is like, who should be responsible for that? The company as a whole is the, you know, maintenance manager. Should it be more corporate policy? Any thoughts to that? My thought there really is it should be more of a, a corporate policy and it involves everybody. And I know this may be a little bit of, of, of you know, a cliche perhaps, but we have to do a very good job, no matter what role we are in, whether it's sitting in, in a corporate seat or sitting down at a plant level of really understanding how 
number one, the things that we do each day are impacting or aligned with the corporate goals. And so if the corporate sets a policy when it comes to environmental, and I think that's where it has to begin because I, I also think you begin to see some of this again over the last couple of years, a lot of investment dollars that have been put into companies from outside investors. They're looking for companies that are really, they've got a very good ESG policy. They've got not just a policy, but they have an actual plan of how they're going to obtain each of those goals and all of those commitments that they've made. And so organizations that are looking to invest in companies, they're looking for to invest in companies that are in fact being socially responsible, but responsible to the environment. And so when they've got the plan and they've put that in place, not just the policy, but the plan, they've linked who's responsible for each one of those activities. And sometimes that's uh, that may be HR department. That might be something around the health and safety department of an organization, but there's also roles that our plant managers and our maintenance people play in that as well. What I really hear from that, Chris, is it's the entire company. This is a shift in the company, and this has got to be a shift in the way that we view a good business too, the, the highest level, who our investors are. And a big part of what we believe is a good company is also an environmentally you know, friendly company. I think the challenge to that though, is oftentimes ultimately comes down to profits. So how do we get people to care about, you know, the environmental impact of the things that we do when on the flip side to it, it could impact profits and bottom line to, to business, especially as it relates to investors and where we put our dollars and future return. I think that's a great question that you bring up. And, and I'm not sure that I know uh, that I'm 100% positive on this answer, right? But I certainly have some thoughts that are, that are linked to what I've observed through my career. I, I can tell you that from my perspective, it comes down to operating in silos and, and separation of interests. And far too often, I believe that we as individuals, we get really focused on what our specific tasks are and what our responsibilities are. And in doing so, we tend to fall into a trap of, of just simply getting stuff done, meaning getting those core, those basic responsibilities executed. Uh, when we do that as individuals, our actions and the behaviors may not contribute to improving the overall health of our organization, it may not help contribute to improving the people that we work with and the community or the environment. In essence, our behaviors are only linked to our immediate responsibilities. And, and again, I think this is likely the reason that there are some folks who, who simply don't understand how they their work impacts uh, the environment. And so therefore, impact of poor or inadequate maintenance practices certainly can lead to actually going against some of the environmental policies of reducing our carbon footprint. It's a tricky one. It definitely is. A business has two decisions to make. It's like, what's the right one versus what's the one that's going to uh, reap the most profit and reward for the business? That's right. And oftentimes, it's kind of like, it's a short-term versus long-term view of the world, like short-term profits, long-term good for the entire, you know, world for not just this business, but, you know, our industry as a whole. So we talked a little bit more about like the East part of ESG. You know, I kind of want to ask you, like, obviously there's three components, environmental, social, and governance component of ESG. Maybe the question here is like, what is your recommendation for businesses that are wanting to improve their practices? Is it to focus on one? Is there something that we can do across all three? And ultimately, like, where does this initiative really start? I mean, it starts from, you know, the top. Does it start with departments? Does it start with individuals? You can't just focus on one. You, you really have to include all three. 
and I think there's been significant increase of conversation around ESG over the past six to 12 months. If you've turned on any business, regardless of, of which uh, business outlet that you, you get information from, you've likely heard a number of executives begin to talk about ESG. Regulatory pressures are, are one factor driving ESG efforts, but there's more than that. The, the events over the past year and a half that we've been uh, going through, from the global health crisis to ho- heightened social unrest, all of these issues and concerns have awakened companies to the fact that commitment to all three, ESG, it, it matters more than it ever has in the past. In fact, you know, in a recent article by BlackRock's founder, chairman, and CEO, Larry Fink, he, he made a, a pretty profound statement, and I think that really gets people to focus in on this. He said, the more your company can show its purpose in delivering value to its customers, its employees, and its communities, the better able you will be to compete and deliver long-term durable profits for shareholders. That last piece is, is what really kind of, I, I think, is very profound, uh, delivering durable profits for shareholders. Every single company wants to do that. Every successful company wants to do that. But you got to notice the shift and, and how he linked that. It's only when we align our purposes to delivering value to customers, employees, and communities that companies can compete and deliver the long-term durable profits for shareholders. Because when we do that and we focus on all three of those and group those together, now we've shown our commitment to others, again, customers, employees, and communities, before profits. Now, profits are important, but really when you focus on creating the environment and showing that there's a big why as to why you're in business, but more importantly, you know, if, if you weren't in business tomorrow, then people would miss you. Uh, they'd miss you as an organization or as a company. They'd miss what you deliver. And if you're not bringing value to customers, employees, and communities, they're not going to miss you, right? And there's that, that saying about culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so I, I think really focusing on all three of those ESG, customers, employees, and communities, that sets the tone. That sets the culture to really drive for a strategy such as ESG. We found that, that currently most, most public companies, they publish um, ESG reports and other material featuring statistics on how environmentally conscious they are. But in the very near future, I, I believe uh, comprehensive audits of an organization's ESG data is going to become a requirement. And in fact, I, I know that because uh, new financial reporting standards such as SASB and TCFD are pointing the way to a future where ESG data is going to be scrutinized with the same kind of rigor as a company's financials. Take, for example, this, right? Uh, CFOs. I, I think a CFO, they're going to need to know the fine details of live operational measurements to provide accurate supporting ESG data. And that means that your the finance department is going to be asked to account for emissions at the level of an individual asset, say uh, the greenhouse gas contribution of an individual compressor or heat exchanger or another energy intensive asset over the last six months. And you and I both know this and our community knows know this, that our asset management practices and how we run and maintain our assets, it contributes directly to answering those questions. If the equipment is failing on a frequent basis as an organization or an individual plant, our carbon footprint must be larger to accommodate those failures, meaning that our MRO warehouses, our on-site stores, all of those have to be stocked with more replacement materials and consumables, things like lubrication, oil, motors, belts, bearings, et cetera. And it doesn't stop there. Not only do our stores have to be stocked, but as we replenish that, we have to procure those parts and consumables, which requires delivery of some sort, right? And that's part of the overall carbon footprint. And then you also have to be able to dispose of those failed parts. 
And so really our maintenance practices get right back to tying into the, the overall size of our carbon footprint that we leave behind as an organization. It's really for all those reasons I mentioned and a number of others that corporate responsibility with respect to environmental, social, and governance concerns, it's increasingly viewed as necessary and a strategic importance. And it's really everybody's role and the organization to be a part of that. I think one thing that I hear most from you is, is really how you tie ESG back to bottom line for a company. It's not just focus on being environmental, like reduce carbon footprint, but you're tying it back to storeroom parts, how much inventory you have to purchase, the waste that you're creating, the extra work that you have to do. And I think that's kind of the, my, my gut says one of the biggest disconnects between why we do what we do and ultimately the, the impact that it has, good and bad. That's right. Absolutely. And that, that's some of the conversations that I had the pleasure of being able to have with, with Doug when we were working on the book. And, and then we'd get off and just, we'd sit down in a room and talk for hours, right? About, oh my gosh, look at all the, the way that these link. Because so often we just focus on, let's get that piece of equipment back up and running. And it doesn't matter what it takes to do that. And, and initially we think about costs, right? We think about costs. We think about uh, the safety incidents that could occur when we're doing the maintenance, but we don't necessarily feel or we think and connect all the dots to how much more tax are we putting on the environment? And that could be, again, with the waste. Uh, every time that we don't correct or, or fix an issue to the uh, degree that it needs to be fixed, we don't take the time to do it right the first time, then we're adding more to that carbon footprint. Absolutely. I love it, Chris. Um, Chris, we have a segment on the show where at the very end of our episode, we do a quick fire set of questions. You ready to jump in? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the most challenging part of the interview for me, but yeah. <laughs> I'll ask a short question and we'd love to get your thoughts in 30 seconds or less. So number one, Chris, what is a piece of technology that you're most excited about or you think will leave a lasting impact on our entire industry? Uh, the short answer uh, for me is connected devices converging with the digital transformation movement. And, and for me, that's really twofold. There's, there's the side that connects back to ESG. And so there's been that huge shift transpiring over the last two years and typical investment dollars moving into sustainability. This is only going to accelerate through better disclosure through ESG reporting. And I think now that with respect to AI and IoT technologies emerging, with the aid of on-site smart sensors, one is capable of, of tracking and measuring the performance of each individual asset in an operation from gas emitting equipment all the way to the break room refrigerators. And as standards become stricter and organizations truly move, move towards net zero, these platforms will become a CFO's best friend as the data expected in an ESG report or an audit can be pulled uh, directly and reported from those connected assets. On the other side of that, right, the, still the connected assets, and I've run over my 30 seconds, I'm really excited for the digital transformation movement that's bringing together the vast array of data at the floor level. So things like the operational process data, maintenance work history, connected condition-based monitoring sensors, uh, MRO consumption and usage data, all of that to really enable individuals within companies to operate in a more efficient and effective manner this is our opportunity within maintenance to link our efforts to the organization's ESG and net zero commitments. And I've been able to work firsthand with a, a large customer of allies over the past year and a half on just such an endeavor. And they're realizing significant improvements, not only in, in asset management, but in driving a more involved and connected culture. And it's, it's helping break down old silos and embarking on meaningful solutions to increase operational availability. 
I love it, Chris. These are things that we here at Upkeep are extremely passionate about too. Chris, favorite memory of the biggest win you've had within, you know, working in the space for you know, several decades. The one that comes to mind quick is probably a, a, an engagement that I've been involved in for the last uh, several years. I, I was fortunate enough to, to work with a large company within the oil and gas industry. And it was one of the few times in my career that the team that was established and responsible for the strategic initiative had the fortitude and the drive to really fully engage their organizational leadership team, put up partnership agreements in place, uh, have a cadence of accountability, really to drive to improving their overall business. And thus it became that strategic initiative for them. We assisted that team in building a detailed business case that linked all functions of the organization to the efforts that we were going to undertake. And as a result, we got to be a part of a multi-year, multi-million dollar strategic initiative. And it, it's been really quite successful. As with all successful initiatives, there were times over the last few years where we had to pivot. We looked at the business case and because of business drives and business needs changed, we had to pivot a little bit in what we were doing. But that program is still in place today and has delivered over $600 million of savings to the tune of like a 95 to 1 return on investment. But they're all super engaged and leaders are talking the talk and, and walking the walk. Let's go flip side to that question. Biggest mistake that you've learned a ton from? I try to self-reflect quite a bit, uh, and I don't force myself to do it enough because it's sometimes painful, right? Um, and when we think about the mistakes that we make, uh, when I'm honest with myself, I found that the mistakes that I've made, which I've learned the most uh, about, are those that that really start with not listening to others. Mm -hmm. And that's the bad part of experience, uh, right? You think you know everything, you've been there, you've done things. When I say not listening, you know, we sometimes pause in conversation, but oftentimes when we pause, our mind is still working and we're thinking about, oh no, let me, let me explain this different. Let me get my point across, right? And we're not silencing our minds. And I think that's what we have to do. In this field, we're all surrounded by a team of very knowledgeable and technical people. You see that I'm sure at Upkeep around with your team. Um, when we work with partners in the industry, uh, we're always surrounded with people with very different skill sets, experiences, perspectives, uh, walks in life. And it's rare that I work with customers or, or partners that aren't very good at what they do. They just maybe need additional support and help getting uh, things implemented or across the finish line. So jumping in and solving all the problems the same way, it's a big mistake. You've got to listen and, and value everyone's experience. And I think that's more than just in our professional lives. I think that's very much the, the case in our personal lives as well. Absolutely. Chris, best piece of career advice that you've ever been given? Uh, this came pretty early on. Uh, I was told by someone I respect a lot, and he's become a friend. He was a customer at the time. Never stop learning. The moment you stop learning is the moment you become irrelevant. I had just uh, maybe gotten my uh, CMRP uh, certification, and he says, hey, that's great. That's great. But you just started, man. Never stop learning. And this means connecting with people through organizations, forums, uh, doing your research, listening to podcasts such as Maintenance Mavericks and others. Uh, and, but, and never stop reading. I've always got multiple books on the uh, going at, a, at one time. And when I travel and I do that quite a bit, there's three or four of those always stuck with me. Uh, and I rotate those out as I complete them. So never stop learning. Love it. Chris, where do you go to learn? So I'm an active member in a number of organizations, such as Society of Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. Also, I mentioned earlier, the Association of Energy Engineers. Also, I've been a longtime member of the uh, of IEEE and the Institute of Electric and electronics engineers, and also a member of the Manufacturing Leadership Council, which is a division of the National Association of Manufacturers. 
And by being an active member, and I, I use that word active a lot because sometimes we're a member of, of groups, but I think you have to be an active participant. And, and by being an active member in these organizations, along with participating in industry-specific forums and conferences, I'm able to stay connected and in tune with what's going on and, and what some of the biggest challenges are within industry today. And I really value that time that I've invested, and I encourage all of your listeners to do the same, and I'm sure they do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris, for going through those quick fire set of questions with me. Really appreciate it. Can you share with our, our listeners all the different ways they can connect with you and follow you on your journey? Absolutely, Ryan. I welcome you and any of your listeners to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on the maintenance community by Upkeep. Uh, you can also contact me directly through email. It's uh, colsonc at alliedreliability.com. Or you can find me through my company's website, alliedreliability.com. And last but not least, um, I'll be traveling to Marco Island, Florida from December 13th through the 16th. I'll be at IMC, the International Maintenance Conference. And uh, I, hopefully I'll run into some of your listeners there and we can sit down and have a chat. Ryan, uh, before I forget, though, I, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to sit down with you today and converse with you and the maintenance community. And I want to thank your entire team at Upkeep. It's been a real pleasure. Of course. And thank you again, Chris, for joining us. Thank you to all of our listeners today for tuning into today's episode of the Maintenance Community Podcast. Again, my name is Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm super duper active on there. You can also find me and Chris on the Maintenance Community Slack group. You can feel free to ask us any follow-up questions from today's episode or suggest future ones. You can sign up at upkeep.org and I hope to connect with all of you soon. Until next time, thanks again, Chris. Thank you, Ryan.